Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Hello David. How good is it to be alive? Yeah and for anybody who's just joining us for the first time, uh, we usually start with a question. 
That's too, right. Are you too ready for a question? Well, I mean, do we need to explain the show any further? It's one of the three of us goes away and uh, researches a topic usually suggested by a listener. And uh, yeah, bring the research back and then tell it to the other two. Kind of like a, a school report, an yeah. oral presentation. That might be the best that you've ever done explaining it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we normally get onto the topic. The report giver gets on a topic with a question. This week, Jess is doing... The report. That's right. What is your question, Jeff? My question is, which over-the-counter medication was the centre of a nationwide panic in the US in the early 1980s? Ooh, pa- I think panic's a clue there. Mm. Panadol. Panic doll. Panic doll. Well, it's t- I guess it's kind of true. It was Tylenol, <gasps> which is which paracetamol, rhymes, which, rhymes which with? is Panadol. Right. So Ty- American Panadol is Tylenol. Well, Tylenol's just a brand name. Oh, wow. Panadol's just a brand. It's just paracetamol. Paracetamol. It's one of those words that the more you say it, it sounds <laughs> stuff sound a little ridiculous. The more you say it, the more it rolls off your tongue. Paracetamol. There's another one. The first one. time you say, oh, yeah, paracetamol. Obviously, that's a normal word. But then you start to say paracetamol. You know another name for paracetamol is acetaminophen? <laughs> is that somehow more ridiculous? It, yeah, acetaminophen. acetaminophen. Both of them sound like, uh, like a grade two learning what syllables are. Yeah. Paracetamol. Acetaminophen. <laughs> I love clapping syllables. <laughs> so fun. Yes. And then they stopped doing that when you get to high school. It's like, oh, okay. I'm just oh. going to see I'm doing it in my head now. Yeah. <laughs> clapping along. Oh, Pretty we disrespectful. We don't get to clap the syllables anymore? Okay. We don't get to clap the <laughs> syllables anymore. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you clap see, the syllables. That's anyway. what a high school education gets you. <laughs> Nothing. Our topic today is the Tylenol murders. Ooh. Really? I've heard of the Tylenol murders, but I always assumed Tylenol meant something like it was like a full-on drug, but it's just a pretty... Paracetamol. I had no right. idea either. Wow. It's an over-the-counter pain med. Oh, geez. Yeah, pretty gentle... Um, this has been suggested by a few people. It's been suggested by Jen Wood, Abby Wazinski, Damon, Lewis Angle, uh, Alex Bachi, Lauren... And Nicola St. John. Oh, fantastic How name. How good's that name? They're all good, but St. John is a fantastic surname. Um, so let me tell you about it, shall I? Please. Wednesday, the 29th of September, 1982. Where were you? Take me back. Where were you? <laughs> <laughs> An interrogation really quickly. Because oh, I've got video evidence that says... Interestingly enough... You uh, weren't there. I think you might have been in Chicago. Imagine eventually we'd get suggested a topic that implicates one of us in a really big crime. <laughs> but the other two don't know. So somebody's just doing a report and one of us is just sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you haven't said anything for yeah. about 25 minutes. The yeah. only suspect was a, a tall, red-headed man with a beard oh, <laughs> God, wearing a St Kilda football club oh, okay. Yeah, that could be anyone. In <laughs> the Brunswick area. <laughs> Matt, just oh. talking about how hot they sound. Wow, it sounds, oh, wow. sounds really attractive. I'd fuck that murderer. <laughs> they sound cool, but also sound innocent to me. <laughs> uh, 982. Well, you know, I was already decades and centuries old. That's right, yeah. You should put the decades first, interesting. <laughs> That's how we used to do it. <laughs> okay. That's sort of American style. You know how they do dates wrong? <laughs> yeah. It's like that. I assume I'm, they I'm, also do decades right. before centuries. Yeah, four score and 20. I'm two and 30 years old right now. <laughs> <laughs> so 1982, 29th of September, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke up early around quarter past six and noticed she had a head cold and a sore throat. Her parents agreed to let her stay home from school and get some rest. And luckily, Mary's mother had just bought a new bottle of Tylenol. 
at the supermarket the day before. So yeah, paracetamol or acetaminophen. I had to write that out. <laughs> acetaminophen. Acetaminophen phonetically. Sort of. It sounds almost like Peter Serafinowitz, the uh, English actor. That's what I kept thinking like... when you say. But I'm th- is it like two people, like Johnny Paracetamol and Christina Acetaminophen, and they were both competing to oh. name it after themselves? Um, sure. They yeah. both had yeah two family empires. It's amazing <laughs> you even got their first names right. It's crazy. But unfortunately, the paracetamol acetaminophen uh, race was not voted on by the uh, by the patreons so we'll have to tell that story another time next block it's exciting so mary went to the bathroom took an extra strength tylenol to help ease her pain within minutes her father heard coughing and then a thud come from the bathroom he rushed in to find mary unresponsive oh, dear. oh shit paramedics were called and they rushed mary to alexian brothers medical center in elk grove village where she was sadly pronounced dead at 9 oh, 56 a.m oh my god so well, without jumping ahead too far something's wrong with this paracetamol holy shit matt you put that together real quick yeah but there's nothing wrong with the acetaminophen that's correct <laughs> so this episode sponsored by the acetaminophen family empire <laughs> peter acetaminophen <laughs> What a guy. The tick, is that who he is? Yeah, the tick. Yeah. <laughs> also, had a great cameo on Black Books. Oh, yeah? That's the guy who read the shipping forecast. <gasps> oh, and him! And Fran's, uh, his voice turns on Fran. 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 Yeah. Fran, is that you? <laughs> he had a great... I did not get that the first time watching it. And watching it as an adult, I was like, oh, I understand oh. what's happening. I think he had a like an, uh, a bit of a viral video years and years ago where, you know those videos where someone does like a hundred... Impressions in a minute. Yeah. He did one, but all the all the people he was impersonating were just made up people. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> that is good. Back to a child dying. Oh yes, yeah. so we were trying to bring a bit of light somewhere, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, you, there will be no light in this. Oh, well, okay. let's, so let's, find the fun where you can. Every five minutes, we'll talk oh. about our favourite Peter Serenafowitz moment. <laughs> So, Those science videos he did. Very funny. <laughs> Very fun. So, yeah, Mary Kellerman, her sudden and tragic passing raised a lot of questions. How does a seemingly healthy 12-year-old suddenly drop dead? What had caused Mary's death? The biggest shock would come later, as Mary's death was the beginning of a chaotic and deadly 24 hours in the Chicago area that saw six more people's lives end yes. suddenly wow. and also without explanation. This is sounding a bit like maybe... A much more deadly version of the needles in the strawberries thing in Australia a few years ago. Oh. Like, so it's a it's a pretty, um, what do you call it? Like a just a very. <laughs> I can't think of a word. Is but it a, Peter Serenafowitz? An in, inoffensive sort of product. It's like a innocuous, innocuous product. Thank yep. you. And uh, someone's tampered with it yeah. by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Um, only with the needles in the strawberries that just made people. Stop eating strawberries. Yeah. But I imagine this probably didn't do a lot of good for the paracetamol industry. That's right. And that's why we don't have paracetamol anymore. So mm-hmm. my first suspect uh-huh. is Peter Cinnaminowins. Okay. Or whatever the person was <laughs> no, who made no, the No, you got it right. Cinnaminowins. Yeah. That was a dark time when we couldn't eat strawberries. Wasn't it? Because uh, So for context, if you're overseas and you don't know this for a while there... There was, I don't know, it was only a few times though, wasn't it? Mm, I think so, yeah. Needles were turning up in strawberries in Australian supermarkets. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone actually got injured from it, but then that you were encouraged either to not eat strawberries or to chop them up before chop you them eat up them. up first, yeah. And I think something 
uh, similar happened in the US with like a razor blades in hot dogs at a baseball oh, field shit. or something. That sounds so awful. Right. Yeah. 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 But it was. Uh, yeah. So it, it's happened. It's happened before. Obviously, though, when it's one person selling the hot dogs, it's probably more obvious. Who's, he's also selling razor blades. Yeah, who's put the razor blades in there? And it's actually just been a bit of a whoopsie. <laughs> it's a giveaway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Free razor blade. Now you're complaining. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was weird that um, Gary Gillette's uh, hot dog stand. <laughs> Didn't, yeah, got away with it somehow. He's also putting shaving gel on the hot dogs, and yeah. that was not good. Instead of mustard. You shouldn't eat that, yeah. Or shaving cream instead of sauce, it was shaving pretty, gel. Pretty bad. It's the sort of stuff it comes out like, it's like a blue kind of gel stuff, and then it kind of foams. Yeah, it looks like it tastes good, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Not yeah. on a hot dog. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Maybe on a cracker or something. Yeah, it's not a good match. <laughs> Not far from Elk Grove Village in Arlington Heights, 27-year-old Adam Janis or Yanis, had the day off from his job as a post office supervisor. He had had some slight chest pain the day before but was feeling fine that day and spent the morning running some errands. He picked up his four-year-old daughter, Cassia, up from preschool and uh, stopped by the supermarket for a few bits and pieces, some steaks, flowers for his wife and some extra-strength Tylenol. Once home, his wife, Teresa, saw him come out of the bathroom, clutching his chest and oh. complaining of pain. She followed him into the bedroom and noticed his breathing was slow and his pupils were dilated. Through the window, she could see two neighbours talking and she knew one of them was a nurse. She ran out for help and the nurse tried to resuscitate Adam while the other neighbour called an ambulance. Pretty rude to interrupt a conversation. They're like, sorry, Teresa, (laughs) we're chatting. Sorry, this is important. We're working out our week. A little detail there is actually, it's quite lucky that it was these two neighbours she saw because Teresa um, didn't speak a lot of English. She was Polish. And she knew that the nurse spoke Polish as well. Okay, that so is very fortunate. It's very wow. fortunate that she happened to see a person who A, could help medically and B, could understand, she could communicate with. So at Northwest Community Hospital in Arlington Heights, less than 10 miles from where Mary Kellerman was, Adam Yanis was pronounced dead at 3.15pm. Oh, shit. So when you said lucky, you really got our hopes up no, I was really hoping he was going to pull through, yeah. Uh, no. Given the fact that he complained of chest pains, doctors initially thought it must have been a heart attack. Dr. Thomas Kim, medical director of the ICU, said there was nothing obvious like a gunshot wound or anything. In Yanis's case, we thought of the heart first, so the diagnosis for him was either a massive heart attack or a massive injury to the brain. We had to wait until the test came back. Now, Dr. Kim comes up a little bit throughout this, so keep him in the back of your mind. All right. First suspect. (laughs) (laughs) By this time, more of the Yanis family had arrived at the hospital. Like I said, Adam's wife, Teresa, didn't speak a lot of English, so Adam's family were there to talk to doctors. The Yanis family left the hospital and went back to Adam and Teresa's house together. The family included Adam's mother, brothers Joseph and Stanley, and Stanley's new wife, also named Teresa. They'd been married for about three months, having held their ceremony at the same church as Stanley's two brothers. Um... And they'd just been on a honeymoon to Hawaii. Hadn't even received their wedding photos back yet. And now here they were planning a funeral for the same church they'd just gotten married in. Oh, my God. Wow. In one article I read, it said that Stanley was having back pain and wanted to just go back to his own home, but his mother insisted they all go back to Adam's house together. No, no, no. Other resources say... Back pain, no. (laughs) Other resources say that when they were all back at the house, Stanley had a bad headache, as did his wife, Terry, also also Teresa. And several of the articles I read say this is a pretty common physical side effect of grief and shock is a headache. So they went together to the bathroom in Adam's house and each took some extra strength Tylenol. 
Moments later, Stanley emerged, clutching his chest. He collapsed, his brother Joseph catching him on the way down and easing him onto the floor. Terry complained her chest hurt too. I found this amazing article from the Chicago um, Tribune. It was only published a few days ago at the time of recording. It's by Stacey St. Clair and Christy uh, Gotovsky. And it's incredibly well written, has a lot of detail, um, sort of forms the skeleton of this report. It also has two parts out and more coming in the weeks ahead. They're kind of doing this like series of uh. articles about it for the uh, 40th anniversary, I suppose, or the 40 years since this happened. Mm. Um, so there's a link in the show notes if you want to read the whole series. It's amazing. So this is quoted from that article. The firefighters and paramedics at Arlington Heights Station 3 were making dinner when the call came in about a man down. When the dispatcher gave the address, they looked at one another in disbelief. The station's paramedics had just been there a few hours ago for a man down, and that man had died. Fire Lieutenant Chuck Kramer ordered an engine to follow the ambulance to the house. It was unusual for bigger vehicles to respond to a medical emergency, but two calls to the same address in less than six hours was alarming. As we were coming down the street, there were crowds of people, said Kramer, who was in the trailing fire truck. As we pulled up in front, I started to go up to the house and I can hear screaming coming out of the house. Inside, paramedics were trying to revive Stanley as he lay on the floor. One of the medics looked at Kramer with fear in his eyes. This is the exact same thing that happened to the man this morning, he told his lieutenant, and we lost him. Terry grabbed Kramer's shoulder for support. Then she groaned and fell to the floor. Kramer assumed she'd fainted, but when he turned her over, he knew it was something far more serious. Her breath was shallow. Her eyes were fixed and dilated. Jeez. At the moment, at this point, and maybe it's just because of like COVID and stuff, but I want, they, they must be thinking, is this a contagious thing? Absolutely. Wow. So now I've got six paramedics working on two people, Kramer said, and I'm looking at what's going on. I said, guys, this isn't heart attacks. There's something wrong. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're thinking something environmental. Oh, whoa. The paramedics loaded the couple into separate ambulances and headed to Northwest Community Hospital. Concerned that some kind of airborne contagion or other deadly environmental poison was in the house, Kramer put the entire Yanis family in police cars and sent them to the hospital too. Handcuffed? Handcuffed. <laughs> he radioed ahead to the hospital staff. You'd better find a place for us, he recalled telling them. I've got 14 people who need to be isolated. Uh, I tell you what, and this might be because I'm uh, six and a half seasons into the X-Files, but I'd send out Mulder and Scully at this point. Would you? Yeah. This would be the point where you'd be like, something's up here. Yeah, and Mulder would walk in and he'd guess it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He'd just be like, eh, it's actually not without precedent, <laughs> Scully. And then he'll have a wild stab at some obscure thing. Yep. Sometimes... Uh, Paracetamols can be poison. It did happen with the Aztecs. Uh, and, it was, and then it'll, it, it'll just happen to have guessed it purely. And then Scully be like, come on, Mulder. There's got to be a more simple explanation. I don't know, Mulder. <laughs> and then they'll go through 40 minutes and he'll yeah. have been right. Yeah, nearly every time. Why does she waste his resources and time then? Cause it must be so annoying because she is saying, what she's saying is logically right. Yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. a medical doctor. Yeah. But he always... But, Eventually, as a medical doctor who believes in science, you know, there's you've done a lot of there's a lot of testing that's been done and Mulder <laughs> yeah. it's always right. If you're if you think of every episode as a test on Mulder's ability, mm. it's pretty conclusive. Yeah, yeah, See, yeah. But, but what they would do is they do a DNA test on the people that have collapsed. 
Scully would be like, I've never seen this genome before. Oh my God, let's take it to another lab. They'd go, wow, I've never seen this before. The person who did that test would be murdered and then the test would disappear. Whoa. <laughs> and then the season would end and the X-Files would be shut down for the sixth season end in a row. Whoa. I really wish you guys would stop spoiling episodes because that's exactly what happened. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know, Mulder. <laughs> As the ambulance raced towards the hospital, Dr. Kim was about to leave after a long shift, but a nurse stopped him to say that two people had collapsed at the Yanis house and were on their way. He assumed it was Adam's parents, overcome with grief. The nurse said, no, it's his brother. So then I said, well, maybe he fainted. Kim recalled, he's like quite keen to leave. <laughs> then, she said, out the door. then she said, his wife also collapsed. So I threw my jacket off and told the ICU, ICU nurses I was staying. Oh, that's very, that's very theatrical. Isn't it? Like. Throw the jacket off. Tell my wife I'm not coming home. Yeah, call my wife. <laughs> um, but it's also, it's funny that he was so open about just being like, yeah, I was like, really keen to get home. Yeah, he's like, okay, so some old people fainted. Do I have to stick around? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a young person fainted. Do All I have right. to see his wife fainted? Yeah. Call my <laughs> wife. <laughs> Call my wife and tell her not to faint. Tell my daughter I won't make it to a ballet recital. <laughs> That's right. So cut, we'll cu- cut to seat with reserved yeah, for dad. Dad, Dr. Kim. <laughs> and then little Kim. Lil Kim. Look, Lil dancing. Kim on the side of stage looking out yeah. and the teacher going... I don't know, we've got to go on. And then her mum sitting in next to the empty chair, just sort of apologetically <laughs> shaking her head. Shrugging. It's like, your dad is the head of ICU, yeah. okay? Things uh, are going to You happen. are very important to dad, but dad also has a really important job. Yeah. And a lot of people's right. lives rely on dad. Right, so do Kim. your little fucking dance yeah. and have some respect. The mum will be like, you know, that's what hey, I would say. Lil Kim, I see you doing the recital, but dad is at the ICU. I see you, yeah. And Lil Kim will be like, oh, mum, you do this joke every, every time. Day. And it's, it, it's not that funny. And never comforts It's funny me. the first time I got it, and I was four. Okay. I'm six now. I'm a big girl. Anyway. So we'll, Dr. Kim. Dr. Kim. Taking his jacket off. We'll come back to the Yannis family later because, in the meantime, in fact, around 30 minutes after Adam Yannis had died, it's around 3.45pm at this point. 27-year-old Mary Reiner was at her Winfield home around half an hour away from the areas of Illinois that Adam and Mary were in. Reiner had a headache and had purchased some Tylenol at the supermarket that morning. Not extra strength, please. After taking two capsules, she felt dizzy almost immediately, collapsing onto a chair in the kitchen and began having seizures. Paramedics were called and Mary was rushed to the hospital, where she sadly died the next day on September 30. Three hours after Mary Reiner had taken a deadly dose of Tylenol, another Mary, so we've got three Marys now, 31-year-old Mary McFarland from Lombard, 20 miles away, was working at the Illinois Bell Telephone Store in, in the Yorktown shopping centre. She's in a mall. It's around 6.45. She stepped into the break room to deal with a headache. In fact, the company had a jar of generic pain pills for their staff. But Mary had a bottle of Tylenol in her bag and she decided oh to take God. that instead. Oh, I'm not going to take that generic oh, shit. No. I'm starting to wonder, is the killer targeting Mary's? Mm. And if so, yeah. Like, it's weird that it, it's the Tylenol. Had three Surely Marys? It, you call three it the Mary, the Mary Tylenol mer- murders. Mm. <laughs> Mary Tylenol. <laughs> and you were worried you wouldn't find any fun in this. And here we are, having a great time. So less than 10 minutes later, she returned to the break room and her co-worker recalled her saying, I don't feel good before collapsing. Paramedics arrived and Mary's co-worker told them that she'd taken Tylenol but nothing else. 
Mary McFarland was taken to hospital where her family were told she'd suffered a massive stroke. And she too sadly passed away not long after. Man, is that five now? Well, and, and they just yeah. they haven't been able to connect any dots at this point. That's right, yeah. So these, yeah, five people who have all had a similar experience, been born Mary, almost seriously on the same day. You don't get born a Mary. Someone, I think, the signs you marry. Or do yeah. you think that people just go, "Well, that's a Mary." Yeah, I think some people are born great, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Okay, and what? Well, same with Mary. Okay, is Mary a great name? Do you think? Yeah, okay. one of the greats. Mary. Hmm. Yeah, it's all right. It's pretty good. I think it's a solid name. Yeah. It's up there. Yeah? Yeah. What, what top? What are we talking, top 20? Yeah. Mary is in the top 20 That's pretty you. good. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm saying like it's up there in terms of the number of Marys in my family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a couple. There's two of them. Yeah. I've got an Auntie Mary. Yeah. Everyone's, I've got two Auntie Marys. Same side of the family. Right. Crazy. What? That's wild. Crazy. Anyway, back to the Yanis family who are at the hospital for a second time today. Can't believe it. Stanley and Terry Yanis were in a critical condition and the rest of the family were being quarantined at a hospital meeting room. Along, So they can't even be there with their No, because, they, because they're not sure yeah. if, they're, if they've ingested something, if it's something airborne. And the um, police, firefighters and paramedics who had responded to the call were also in that meeting room with them. They were just keeping everybody contained until they could figure out what was going on. Wow. Fire Lieutenant Chuck Kramer was in the room and he called his friend and public health official, Helen Jensen. She arrived at the hospital 15 minutes later and walked into the quarantine room. The people inside marvelled at her courage. I thought she'd go and talk to the doctors, but no, she came directly into the room and I couldn't believe that, Kramer said. But that's just Helen. She's brave. She sees it as it doing a job, but I really admired her. And I initially thought it was a little bit funny to like call a person brave for walking into a room, but at this stage they have no idea that there are other similar deaths occurring elsewhere. And there's a very serious and valid concern that this is something airborne mm. and very contagious. So it was pretty ballsy of her to just sort of walk in and be like, all right, what's going on? How can I help? What are, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, God, I've wandered into the wrong room. Oh, no. no I can't okay, leave. play it cool, play it cool. Hey, what's up? How are we hey, doing? I wasn't yeah, just looking no. for the vending machine when I walked in here. <laughs> Sometimes it, you know, brave is one word for it, but if she's going to just drop dead... Yeah. Because, I don't know if that's brave or that's sort of reckless. Yeah. I think I think often people say brave when they mean a bit reckless. Yeah. Um and that's cool. Yeah. I think cool I'm is pretty, another word. I'm a pretty for reckless it. person. Nothing cooler than being reckless. Yeah. Would you I'd, you'd say I'm a reckless person. Yeah. I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not at all a cautious nah, person. Nah, nah, nah. Honestly, I was talking about this the other day. Uh, am I driving test to get my license? Um, the guy's only feedback was that I was a little bit too cautious. Wow. And I was like, you don't say. During my test, I was a little cautious, was, was like, I? I've never given that feedback before. And that's when I, I went through a yellow light with him and he's like, a bit cautious. I'm like, in what fucking unit? Anyway. Wow. I, I had a similar thing. I had, um, he asked me to change lanes and I was told before that, that sometimes I'll trick you. Oh. They'll, they'll say change lanes when there's not really enough space. So I was told, be cautious. So I'm like, sorry, I just, I don't think I've, I've got enough space. And he got so angry. He's like, you had so much space. I'm like, oh, was, yeah, I thought it was a trick. So <laughs> no matter what instruction he gave you, you said, I, I won't be doing that. Know. I'm not falling for that okay, one. Okay, turn the engine on. I won't be doing that. Take, I was born take, yesterday. Take the next left. I'll actually be turning right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. 
Nice my try. My instructor told me to do the, what, the opposite of whatever you say. <laughs> Your instructor is an idiot. Don't run that red light. Okay. <laughs> right. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, that Helen's... good engine noise. Thank you so much. I've been practicing. I've been under your tutelage. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. It's what cars sound like. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever heard a car? Well, didn't think so. I didn't think I had until... <laughs> I thought I had... <laughs> But now that sounded more like a car than a car ever has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got Helen bravely walking uh-huh. into a room. Oh, bravely. Is that what's the noise she made as she walked into the room? <laughs> um, Pulls up. <laughs> How we doing? <laughs> she skipped in. <laughs> Helen's badass. She, she opens the door Kramer style into a, into a quarantine These room. These people are freaking out. Yeah. They've had the worst day of their life. She's bursting into the room. Well, there is, there is a Kramer in the room, but he's a fire lieutenant. There's someone named Kramer yeah, in the I've room. Yeah, I've mentioned him several times. Yeah. He comes up a lot. Keep him, keep Kramer in your mind. Is his name Kramer, Dr. Kramer Kim? Yep. Okay. No. Okay. Um, so Adam's wife, Teresa, walked Helen through Adam's morning. In her retelling, Jensen noticed all three people had gotten sick, um, had, who had gotten sick had taken Tylenol. Helen Jensen asked for two things, a key to the Yanis home and a police officer to take her there. <laughs> she was on it straight, straight away. Straight away. She put it together so quick. Bang. And then was like, take me to this house that everybody thinks is poisonous. So she goes, by 8pm she's in the house, gathering items that she thought all three people could have come in contact with. So, she, yeah, she was like, oh, it's interesting they all took Tylenol, but she's also thinking like, is there something, you know, just those sort of communal things. So she's taken like a pot of coffee, Coffee grounds, some fruit, cake, flowers, and of course, Tylenol. Yeah, because what they say, what's that saying? Something doesn't equal causation. Correlation. Correlation doesn't mean causation. Because that, like, that would be someone who just goes, oh, it's obviously that. Yeah, yeah, and they could be wrong. There could be many things. So she's sort of like, okay, what are the kind of things that they all might have had access to, or might have ingested, eaten, whatever? She's like Mulder and Scully She's mushed great. together. She is. But also, can I just point out, that's some of the worst quarantining procedure I've ever heard of. Well, she just bails. She's walked in there and gone, great, awesome. I've hung out with all of you. Now I'm going back <laughs> yeah. out I'm going the back, world. I'm going back to the house where you all just came from. <laughs> and I'll probably come back here. And I'm taking a cop with me. This, yeah. <laughs> this the is, cop's like, do I have to come in? <laughs> yeah, oh. Can I wait in the car? <laughs> this is very Mulder technique as well. He's always fingering things on crime scenes. Oh, my. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my like Fox. Stop touching the evidence. Well, it's so funny you say that because, I mean, this is the 80s and a lot of the police officers and stuff, in hindsight, talking about it now, were like, we weren't wearing gloves. Right. So when they're trying to dust for prints and stuff, it's a bit of a nightmare because everybody's just like, oh, here's the Tylenol bottle, getting (laughs) their hands all over it, throwing it to their friend. (laughs) Just, just licking it. Yeah. Just, just threw it like basketball style. <laughs> how, do you, how do you throw things to your friend? You tried to throw your keys to Matt before. It was a, com- a disaster, wasn't they it? have a competition just trying to throw them in the bin. Oh. <laughs> Three-point line. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> They're very respectful on a murder scene. So she found the bottle of Tylenol and also conveniently she found the receipt because they just oh, bought it. Great. She's going to try and get a refund. <laughs> um, this killed three people. <laughs> I think we should get at least a partial refund. I want a replacement. I want to store credit, please. <laughs> so she checks inside the bottle and there's 44 capsules left. It's a 50 um, bottle. Oh, these are the capsules that are you can pull apart. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, they're the gelatin capsules. So that it's like, you know, the Panadol ones are green on one side and white on the other. I think these are red and white. And yeah, you can pull them apart. Right. Um, Tamper so, with them and put them back exactly together. Exactly right. 
So there's oh. 44 left. So that added up. Three adults had taken two each and the three of them had had the same awful experience afterwards. So she returned to the hospital where she found a representative from the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office in a conference room and she placed the bottle down and said it had to be the Tylenol that linked these three cases. Oh, that's got to be badass. But remember, this is the early 80s and she's just a nurse. So her advice was immediately met with scepticism. No. Straight away they're like, mm, Helen, is it? I don't know. Because I was imagining she puts the bottle down and just goes, there's a killer right there. And everyone goes. And then the who plays. Helen. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she puts her sunnies on, walks out as the, as the hospital explodes, explodes behind her. Another, and that's a whole new yeah, thing. Another job well done. <laughs> Several resources mentioned that she literally had to stomp her feet and yell in order to be heard. And even then she was brushed off. Yeah, I, I can imagine people, like, brushing you off when you're stomping your feet and yelling. It's a Tylenol! Whoa, whoa, Helen. Helen, <laughs> We're baby. trying to figure this out. <laughs> Helen, come and on. Like, and this guy in the corner, Fox, he reckons it's a demon. Yeah. yeah. We're going to go with him. We're going to go with the demon guy. So, yeah, she went home pretty frustrated um, and sort of being like, I'm a, just a nurse. And they're not going to listen to me, but that's what I think it is. Even so, though I had a tantrum. No, <laughs> through a tantrum. Did you have a headache? Don't tell me she, she had a headache. She's fine. She's Thank okay. Thank goodness. So around the same time at 8.45pm, 35-year-old United flight attendant Paula Prince landed at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. One of her good friends and colleagues, Jean uh, Regular Levengood, incredible name. Sorry. What? <laughs> Sorry. Jean Regular Levengood? Regular Levengood. That's, they've made that up on the spot. Uh, uh, R-E-G-U-L-A, regular or regular? I'm regular Levengood. <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, regular door frame uh, handle. This is my friend. It's a beautiful. Uh, is that Italian? My friend Chris Extra Strong Tylenol <laughs> capsule. So I'm. What I'm guessing is about to happen is someone's going to die because they didn't listen to Helen. Uh, no. This is all happening around the same time. Okay. Helen. So Helen was at the house at eight eight. This is 8.45, so it's all happening around the so same time. So it would have been time. hard to get the word out Exactly people right. stop, stop eating Tylenol. So, uh, yeah, Paula Prince, she she lands and her friend and colleague lives in the same condo building as Paula. And so she's like, oh, I'll check to see when she's arriving. We can go, you know, travel home together. She checks the flight board and she sees that Jean uh, isn't landing for another hour or so. So she just left her a note to say she was heading home. It says, let's meet for a drink later, Prince wrote. I have exciting news to tell you. On the way home, Paula stopped at Walgreens for a few things, including, you guessed it, a bottle of extra strength Tylenol. While taking off her makeup, she paused to take a single Tylenol capsule from the new bottle, despite there already being an open bottle in her travel bag. No! Because she was at home alone, it wasn't until two days later that Leavengood and Prince's sister would find her body. Shit. And this is from the Chicago Tribune article again. At Prince's funeral, a man approached Levengood and introduced himself. He said he'd met Prince during a recent layover in Las Vegas and they'd fallen immediately madly in love. He said they planned to marry. He was Paula Prince's exciting news. Oh, that's right. so tragic. It's so tragic. This article points out so many small details that are so brutal like that just hurts and that stanley wanted to go home but his mum's like no no no, come back to adam's place um and that paula had another presumably safe bottle of tylenol she could have had there's a lot of like sliding doors moments where if they'd something had happened slightly differently 
you know. If I think about fine. those moments too much, oh, I, I panic it, and then I can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's scary. But maybe if you didn't panic then, you would have done something else that would have been the wrong call. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Panicking may have just saved your life. <laughs> Thank you. You ever think about that? Yes. So Paula bought her Tylenol around 9.15pm. And so we're now at about 10pm the same day, 29th of September, 1982. After hours in quarantine, firefighter Kramer heard from Dr. Kim that Stanley Yanis had been pronounced dead and Terry was on life support with no chance of recovery. Oof. So this family's lost two sons and, and a daughter-in-law. is She's going to die as well in the same day. Oh, and they were all there. Yeah. It happened too. Awful. Dr. Kim said he thought the deaths were most likely caused by something they'd ingested and was trying to find a poison expert to help him find out more. Careful not to rule out environmental factors, doctors admitted the Yanis family for overnight observation. And this is another one of those little details that this um, article just really hits you. Like Joseph Yanis, um, the older brother, shared a room with his sister Sophia and the siblings passed a sleepless night, afraid they wouldn't wake up if they fell asleep. I was just looking at my sister and she was looking at me to see if we were still alive, he said. I thought we were going to die too. Because they'd have no idea. Oh, you'd be grieving, you're terrified. Your siblings have just died, you have no idea why. And you're like, is there something in the house that's going to kill us as well? Terrifying. On the way back to the firehouse, Lieutenant Kramer notified dispatchers via radio that his station would be out of commission until further notice. He told... So the, the family had to quarantine in the hospital, but all of the first responders were told to go home, but they had to like deep clean the trucks and, you know, like try to make sure just in case that it wasn't anything on them. So he's like, don't send us any uh, jobs for a bit. We need, we're off, we're offline. Shortly after that, his phone rang. It was a friend of his and a fellow Arlington Heights fire lieutenant, Phil Capitelli. Capitelli asked what was up and what had happened that would cause an entire station to shut down because he'd heard it on the radio. Kramer told him about the family and their mysterious illness. They didn't have anything in common, Kramer told his colleague, except that they'd each taken Tylenol. This information clicked with Capitelli. His mother-in-law worked with the 12-year-old Mary Kellerman's mother and he had heard about her death earlier that day. He told Kramer about his inquiry into Mary Kellerman's sudden death and that she'd also taken Tylenol moments before collapsing. Wow. Oh my God, it just hits you, Kramer recalled. Someone is out there indiscriminately poisoning people. So they've put it together in the first like 12 hours. People yeah. are, which is rare in these sorts of stories. You know, it's often like ages later, they're like, ah, oh, but now they're like really quickly putting it together. Mm, but I guess there's that, that chance thing that he seemed to know both parties. Exactly. Amazing. In exactly. this massive city and with millions of people. It's Capitelli's day off and he's just listening into the radio anyway, as he was known to do. Happens to hear the first one and like... You know, his mother-in-law knows the the mother of the daughter. Do- you know, it's... Mm. Capitelli, a bit of a radio listener. Yeah. <laughs> Known for it. <laughs> Known for it. Um, yeah, crazy. So Kramer then called the Elk Grove Village Fire Department and spoke with a paramedic who had treated Mary Kellerman. Through their conversation, Kramer learnt that Mary Kellerman's symptoms were the same as the Yanis's. So he called the hospital and confirmed what Helen Jensen had been trying to tell people. There's something wrong with the Tylenol. Now, Dr. Kim had treated cases of acetaminophen poisoning before, but this wasn't that. He consulted with several poisoning experts and scoured his old medical school textbooks. He paced back and forth in his office, thinking and ruling out various causes. In the end, there was only one substance that he could think of that killed people so rapidly after being ingested. Cyanide. Oh, dear. 
His hospital couldn't test for cyanide at that time, so he found a 24-hour lab in Highland Park. He put two vials of blood, one belonging to Stanley, the other to Terry, in a cab and gave the driver instructions on where to take them. He put him in a cab. Wow. <laughs> Just sitting on the front seat next to him. Yeah, and the cab driver's like... Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, an Elk Grove Village police officer brought the Tylenol bottle from the Kellerman home to the hospital and gave it to Nicholas Pishos, an investigator with the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office. Pishos already had the bottle left by Helen Jensen. Both bottles had the same lot number, like same batch. Pishos called his boss, Dr. Edmund Donahue, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner for Cook County. Donahue, who was at home, told him to open one of the bottles and smell inside. Anyone know what smell we might be looking for? Oh, is it almonds? It is almonds. I was going to guess cyanide. <laughs> Which smells like? Cyanide. Cyanide. Yes, I, I don't really know what almonds. Probably both correct. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> yeah, he's not what wrong. Is this an, we sound to think it's a nut allergy thing. It's a nut allergy thing, yeah. But just almonds. Just this is a, how, a high class nut. This is how we discovered that um, people can be allergic to nuts. Before that, we had no idea. Whoa. <laughs> we, as humans. When Pishos poured out the capsules, he caught a strong almond scent. Mm, I mean, that's hard to resist. <laughs> the second bottle produced the same bitter smell. Donahue's suspicion was confirmed. He knew instantly the odour was cyanide, a notorious and rapid-acting poison that cuts off oxygen to red blood cells. The almond odour isn't always present, and even when it does exist, it's discernible by only about 60% of the population. Right. So imagine if Pishos had been part of the 40% that couldn't smell it anyway. Oh, yeah. Then we wouldn't, you know, they'd still be, they'd have to be testing things, but he was like, oh, almond. And they're like, that's cyanide, baby. <laughs> it's crazy. Again, it's one of those other, it's another time where it's like, what if he hadn't been able to smell it? What if, it's crazy. Mm. Donahue called Michael Schaefer, the county's chief toxologist, and asked him to come to the morgue and run tests on the confiscated Tylenol capsules. Tests would show that four of the 44 remaining capsules in the Yanis's bottle contained cyanide. Only four. Oh, so that new bottle she opened, it was... Even it wasn't all cyanide. Oh. oh my god! I guess yeah. Whoever did it, it would take forever to do it. Mm. So yeah. just put put six on top. So of even the fact that they all happened in the same day is pretty yeah wild, right? It yeah. could have just slowly happened over months, and then they would it would have been a lot harder to put together. Yeah, exactly. If they were happening more harder to to yeah link it to something. Mm. Tests would show that yeah, forty four uh, contained cyanide. Four of the forty four, sorry. Records indicate each capsule had between 550 and 610 milligrams of the poison, nearly three times the amount needed to kill someone. So it's strong as well. Shit. In the early hours of September 30, a technician from the 24-hour lab in Highland Park called Dr. Kim to tell him that her tests had found massive amounts of cyanide in Stanley and Terry's blood. So it confirmed that it was cyanide poisoning and from the Tylenol. With so many of these stories, it often takes ages for authorities to figure out that there's any link, um, like we were saying before. Um, but already some very savvy and dedicated medical professionals and first responders had pieced it together very quickly. But now it was a case of getting the info out to more people. The first news related to the Tylenol poisoning broke when a reporter for the City News Bureau um, a famed Chicago news organization that operated Oprah. 24 hours a day. <laughs> it was Oprah. Published a bulletin. The bulletin, based on a tip received by overnight editor Rick Bart, didn't mention specifically Tylenol. Um, and 
the City News reporter John Flynn Rooney. What a good name. Couldn't get anyone to confirm those details, but they, they essentially they um that they got a tip. I think I had it written somewhere. They essentially had a tip that like a headache medication. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they couldn't get them to confirm that it's Tylenol. But um, the editor, Rick Bart, recognised that this was potentially very dangerous to the public and he urged his reporter, Rooney, to keep digging. Bart also called his best friend in the middle of the night because he knew that his friend took Tylenol for his knee each morning and so he warned his friend, skip it, don't take Tylenol tomorrow morning. Um, All I could think was how many more people could be at risk if the news didn't get out by morning, Bart said. So shortly before sunrise, Rooney managed to nail down the story and at around 5.30am... City News reported that the medical examiner's office was attributing three deaths to an unnamed headache remedy and a news conference would be held later that morning. And there's this detail in the Chicago Tribune article again. The story was immediately picked up by local radio stations, including the one Helen Jensen's husband listened to before work. When he heard the news, he woke up his wife. You were right, he told her. It's on the radio. It's the Tylenol. So she was right. She was right. Unfortunately, she needed a couple more men to confirm it before anybody believed her. But still, at least it wasn't days, weeks, months mm, until she was finally yeah. proven right. It was like hours. So she, yeah, she, she was got right it on really it. quick. Yeah, it's so funny that they they gave her keys and a police officer, but still didn't listen. Still didn't listen to her. I thought. I thought. Oh, she's well, that was the fire lieutenant who gave her the got some authority. But yeah, yeah they didn't. Yeah, jeez. The you know the what, county. What when? What were they thinking? Oh, who knows? She. It sounds like she, she had put could, it all together. Put it together. She could spell it out. Yeah. But they were like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Did they call her sugar tits or anything? Probably, yeah. All right, sugar tits. Okay. We go from here. Okay, sweetheart. <laughs> I'll have a black coffee on your way out. Thanks. So the same morning the news broke, stores began pulling the pain reliever from their shelves and public health departments went door to door with flyers warning people about potentially poisonous capsules. Police officers drove through streets using bullhorns to order people to throw out their Tylenol. So they acted very quickly. Two honks means throw out Tylenol. <laughs> we all beep, know. Beep. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, the Tylenol. <laughs> this effort proved to be life-saving as three other tainted Tylenol bottles were found this way. And no other lives were lost after those first 24 wow. hours. Whoa. That is an amazing, well, you know, horrible start. But Awful. What a, the systems in the end worked so well. Yeah. But of course the question remained, how did this happen? And who is responsible? The other question was, who's in charge of this investigation? The deaths had occurred in different areas of Illinois and different police departments were looking into the mysterious deaths. Illinois Attorney General Ty Fainer was notified of the deaths and although each county has its own state attorney to oversee the case and the Attorney General has no authority to intervene, uh, Fainer was a well-liked leader and the Illinois State Police wanted him to help. So he left an event he was at immediately and made phone his calls. Daughter's ballet <laughs> his daughter's ballet recital. <laughs> everyone's getting up from She's his like, recital. She's like, Dad. Uh, yeah, everyone's at the same recital. It's brutal. I want to see this as a film, but it starts as just like some kids practicing for their ballet recital and then it finally gets to the big performance <laughs> and everyone's dad leaves. <laughs> and then it turns into a really gritty crime yeah. drama. 
That's what I want. Yeah, a lot of beepers. Can I play Helen Jensen? Doing oh yeah, you could be. You'd be great, Helen Jensen. I'd be a great sugar tits. I can. I can picture you stomping those feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because I do that often. Listen, when you won't listen to me, I listen, stomp my feet. Listen to my report. I go, boys, <laughs> listen. Stomp my little feet. It works every All time. All right, Jess. All just, right. I'll, I'll have a tea with two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two what? Two what? Two what? The Tylenol? <laughs> <laughs> you want some cyanide in your tea? No problem. So, yeah, he left this event, made some phone calls through the drive home. He had a car phone. Pretty sick. Oh, wow. I love their curly little antennas. Yeah. Do you remember those car phones that had a little, pig, little pig's tail <laughs> antenna at the back? I don't remember that. Yeah. That's fun. Adorable. <laughs> it's like cars were pigs little for piggies. a little while. Little piggies. Oink, oink. <laughs> it's like cars were pigs. <laughs> yeah. It was the 80s. It was wild. <laughs> Little piggy cars. <laughs> By the time he'd reached his house in Evanston, he was the de facto leader of what had quickly become the country's highest profile case. He ordered his staff to work through the night, calling local police, sheriff, coroners, the FBI, the FDA, prosecutors and public health officials. He also laid the foundation to get extra strength Tylenol off store shelves statewide, going beyond the single batch of the pain relievers manufacturer had recalled that day. So the manufacturer is like, okay, we, we'll find you know that batch. Let's get rid of that. And he's like, get rid of all get fucking of Tylenol. All. Yeah. Actually, burn down every chemist. Yeah, just, just to case. be safe. <laughs> Tests were run and confirmed that Mary Kellerman and Mary Reiner had suffered the same fate as the Yanis's cyanide poisoning. So it was they're like, very quickly they're piecing together that. Uh, the the Yanis family, it was the Tylenol that had poisoned them and that uh, it was Tylenol for the other people as well. So they have put it together quite quickly. Can I just, Joanne, if I ask Dave who he thinks, who's your big suspect at the moment? Probably a disgruntled employee at Tylenol, something like that. Oh, you, you think so? I think it might be Rick Tylenol. Oh, okay. okay. Trying to crash his own stock so he can buy low and then sell high. Oh, and That's it, brave. Yeah, that is very brave because mm. I don't think this is a good PR for Tylenol. Yeah. But he was a cowboy, Rick. Yeah. So crazy, it just might work. Okay, Matt, any theories? Oh. Dave said Rick Tylenol. I'm wondering if it's maybe like a disgruntled employee okay. on the factory floor or something. Or um... I'm literally looking at the world disgruntled employee no. in front of me. <laughs> in brackets, Rick Tylenol? <laughs> no, Rick Tylenol is not mentioned. Fuck. Yet. <laughs> We're going to crack the case. <laughs> He's still at the ballet recital. <laughs> the he hasn't one, left yet. The one person left. He doesn't have a pager, so. <laughs> the White House ordered the FBI to be involved in the investigation amid growing public panic. FBI Special Agent Roy Lane Jr. was one of several investigators who gathered to brainstorm possible motives behind the crime. Um, there was about 10, 15 different avenues of investigation to pursue, like disgruntled employees, <gasps> former employees... Lawsuits, customers who had a problem, anybody that could make some money out of it. <laughs> so there's a lot. I think I read. It's money to be made. I didn't include it in the report, but I read that there was like a team of female agents that were set up to like answer the phone. There was like a hotline set up for people to. Um, they put the hot in hotline because they were women. People. <laughs> Jesus and we're, how hot are women? <laughs> 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 How hot are women? Um, am I right, fellas? 
<laughs> Matt's new catchphrase. How, How hot are women? He is a feminist of the pod. And you're always reaching for a high five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. You guys ever seen a hot woman? Yeah. I like every woman. Every woman. Yeah. I love them Woo! all. How hot are women? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I suppose you are supporting women kind of. Kind of. Situation. I mean, we're sort of reclaimed. Yeah, I guess oh. so. Anyway, so so yeah, there was this. There was a hotline set up. There were people taking calls. They were getting thousands uh, of tips. That's always a nightmare, though, isn't it? Because right. you get people being like, "I saw Graham across the road last night, and mm-hmm. then I didn't see him till this morning." Yeah, what was he the, doing? The yeah. What was Graham beef? doing? Yeah, there was like, a lot. Okay. And then it was sort of they, they, they. This article interviews one woman whose job it was to sort of filter through all this, all these tips, and like discard ones that were obviously nonsense and keep the ones that like agents should actually look into. For example, demon. Demon. They're like, Fox ah. Mulder's like, yep, I'll be right there. I'm going to put that on the maybe pile <laughs> and I'm going to hand this one off he's first. N- nearly never wrong. <laughs> no, he's never like 99% wrong. of the time he's spot on. But wouldn't that be, a, it would be a mini, there would be very, sh- it'd be a web series of like five minute episodes if people listen to him at the start, you know, because yes. he calls it so quickly. That's true. So you gotta you gotta be like nah, and then he's right. All right, right again. Yeah, when will they learn? Among the earliest priorities was twenty four hour surveillance outside the victims' homes, on the assumption that someone who killed anonymously would want to see the results of their work and might drive by the house. Following the same theory, investigators took pictures of everyone who attended the victims' funerals and set up time lapse cameras at grave sites to see if they could capture anyone acting unusual. Agents interviewed the victims' families, neighbours, co-workers and friends about any known enemies. I mean, one of them was a 12-year-old girl, so... (laughs) So the list was long. Many enemies. Each person underwent a rigorous background check. Relatives, including two who took polygraph tests, were quickly eliminated from suspicion. So, like, okay, it's not... It's not any relatives. Not Auntie Jill. Hopefully not based on the polygraphs, aren't they? They've been debunked as... Have they? Yeah, aren't they bullshit? Probably. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, trying to discredit it. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, these are bullshit anyway. That's Matt really determined it's not to take it. off the scale. <laughs> this whole time we, we wear them every week. <laughs> Just to keep us honest. Just to t- <laughs> On this silly little podcast. <laughs> I think that's dumb. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. So, yeah, so it's funny that they're thinking enemies because... It feels like it was quite random. Yeah, yeah exactly. Gonna... If it was just that one family, with just that one bottle, you'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. This twelve-year-old girl, yeah, isn't related to the woman who's come to her apartment. And they're all spread the out. From like the it's all yeah. around the Chicago area. They're they're close-ish to each other, but like you know, it's it's quite widespread. Investigators quickly dismissed the possibility that the killer was targeting a single victim. Obviously, because there were seven victims. You do it to target one. And then to cover your tracks, you kill the others. Okay. Oh, yeah. Spoken like a true serial killer, David. Exactly. Thank you. Interesting. Well, I don't think she meant that as a compliment. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> sorry, Jess, I don't want to talk to you. Did you mean that as a compliment? I meant it as a compliment. Oh, sorry. Thank Apologies. you. Apologies. And also, how hot are women? Oh, <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Uh, the polygraph. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, not that they've uh, dismissed that it, the killer was targeting a single victim, and um, the other bottles were contaminated to make it harder to solve that murder. So essentially, what you're saying, Dave, it's like they're, they're going, no, it's not that somebody's killing one person and trying to cover up their tracks. Oh, okay. Authorities were convinced that the killer didn't know any of the victims. In keeping with that theory, the task force con- contacted hospitals to ask about anyone treated for poison burns or symptoms in case the killer became ill or injured during the spree. 
So maybe in, like, you know, accidentally ingested some of the cyanide or whatever. <laughs> fell over. Fell over. <laughs> Got a scraped knee. Yeah, everyone in the hospital is a suspect. Oh, a sprained ankle. Interesting. Uh, ever heard of cyanide? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Would I be a good cop? Yeah. Yeah, you'd be terrifying. Do you reckon? Never heard of saying What the hell are you talking but about? But I would also, I would conduct all of my interrogations at a gym where I'd just be leg pressing yeah. and keep the eye contact with them. Yeah, the way, when you were just acting that out before, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but your eyes were wide open and unblinking. Yeah, I do that while I leg press, just so they know how strong my legs are. And your lids. <laughs> I got great lid control. These never go, come down. I can go a good 30 seconds without blinking if mm. I want to. <laughs> How hot a woman! <laughs> Just uh, one, actually, one more thing, one final question. How hot a woman? <laughs> Very correct. Okay, you're off the list. Investigated pull, investigators pulled library records to see who had checked out books on cyanide. They're really they are they're trying everything. They're looking for an idiot. And they talked to vets about any unusual animal poisonings, thinking that the murderer may have tested chemicals on pets first. Oh, wow. Which I guess, you know, a lot of serial killers and stuff uh, kill animals. So that's not a bad theory, but it didn't really uh, didn't really pull much up for them. <laughs> that sounds like whoever came up with the theory defending it. Yeah. Okay, I didn't come up with anything, but it's not a bad theory. It's not, a bad, it's not bad. It was worth a try. Yeah. Right. Oh, it wasn't worth a crack? Okay. Okay. Fun. All right, all right, Greg. What are your ideas? Yeah, I didn't hear. I, didn't, I haven't heard your ideas, Greg. I didn't hear a fucking peep out of you, Greg. Yeah, Greg. Jesus Fuck, Christ. you're an asshole, Greg. Hmm. You used to be my friend. In an attempt to paint a more detailed portrait of the killer, the FBI turned to a relatively new technique at the time called criminal profiling. Oh, Mulder's great at this. Mm. The Tylenol case marked one of the earliest uses of this approach. Investigators assumed the culprit was a man. Though records indicate they didn't automatically rule out anyone based on gender. So, assuming they're a man, not actually helpful or relevant. (laughs) I think Scully's also very good at it. Right. Criminal profile. What a combo. Wow. She often writes in her little diary. Wait, is she? Yeah. But Mulder also? Or not? Yeah, they're both good at it. Yeah, I thought... You know where they they do a lot of profiling? Criminal Minds. Oh. Oh, yes. I enjoyed that show early on, but then some of the stuff was a bit... Effed up for me. Really? Okay. A bit too mm. effed up for your sick yeah. little brain. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Not sick. <laughs> there was a, there was a cop show that was all about profiles. Yeah, it's Criminal Minds. Criminal that Minds. That was my little joke there. I thought I think there was. A, is that the English one? <laughs> no. No. There's probably m- more than one. I guess. You're thinking of the Bill. <laughs> Reg, one of the greatest <laughs> profiles. <laughs> Reg. <laughs> 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 well, I've uh, done a short course <laughs> in my time off, and uh, now I think I can do a bit of profiling. I think I know who nicked two bob worth of mixed lollies down the off license. <laughs> it was that kid over there. That's it, fella. You're nicked. What a great show. I love that show. Me too. It was... One of the, you know, how TV, daytime TV sucked, and that was a little, little bit of a bright oh, spot. Bright spot, Sun Hill, what a place! Take me back. Mm. That's it, you're nicked. <laughs> you're nicked, you toilet. You're nicked, you toilet. <laughs> sun Hill, the least sunny place on the planet, <laughs> and the sun ever shone on that show. <laughs> Sorry, Jess, do go on. So they, yeah, they're um, they're not ruling anybody out, but it's they think it's probably a man because studies have found that women who kill use poison more often than men do, 
but they typically target people they know. (laughs) (laughs) How hot. Vindictive. (laughs) Male murderers are more likely in general to kill randomly and on a larger scale. Is that true? Women just kill, like, people who have wronged them. Settling scores. But with poison. With poison more often. It really is in its infancy, isn't it, this... This profiling, this profiling yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it could be anyone. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> We're thinking even either, either a woman or a man. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, just got a note here. How hot are women? How hot are women? <laughs> so I guess maybe it couldn't have been a woman. No. They're so hot. Yeah. The profilers predicted the culprit's past likely included treatment for mental health issues and an attack on his parents. I don't know why. He also would have likely had a history of animal cruelty. So they've got like they've got like some bullet points of what they're sort of looking for. About a week after the deaths, a handwritten letter was sent to Johnson and Johnson, the manufacturers. Oh. It read Gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to this bank account. Right. So it was all for the cash. All for that sweet, sweet cash. Mm. Or is someone just trying to take advantage? Well, step in. Interesting. Bloody hell, you two would be a great crime duo, in that you do most of the work, Dave, but Matt... Okay. Matt, <laughs> Matt, oh, Matt uh, walks talks. around going, ah. ah yeah, and supports women. Matt has an idea. Dave says the opposite. And Matt goes, yes, Dave, <laughs> yes. Well, okay, I think that's uh, that's probably reduced some of the work I've done on this case uh, down to just the ums and ahs. But yeah, that's right. Fair fair In fairness, I thought it was rectile and all. Hey, we still don't know that it's not With, rectile Exactly, exactly. I'm hoping you know one way or the other. Matt thinks it's disgruntled employees. I'm making this up as I go. Um, Matt, can I just ask you a question, though? Who's hot? Mm, It's hard to put a finger on it, but let me just say, if we're speaking broadly, Mm. I'm going to go with women. (laughs) 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 So Johnson & Johnson, they're obviously very concerned, of course. Um, Both of them are? Johnson & Johnson, both. Um, they're worried this is a legit letter and that the culprit would continue to poison medication. So they're willing to pay the ransom. But the FBI says, no, 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 hold off. <laughs> Instead, turning their attention to finding the letter writer. Eventually, they trace the letter to a man named James William Lewis. The bank account details were linked to a business that his wife had previously worked for. Apparently, the last paycheck had bounced due to a lack of funds in the business account. And Lewis had provided those bank details, hoping to get some revenge on his wife's former employer when the money entered his bank account, therefore implicating him in the murder of seven people. Oh my God, James, you psycho. Absolute psycho. Evidence suggested Lewis and his wife had left Chicago for New York around a month before the deaths, and therefore it was very unlikely he was responsible. He also, he owned up to writing the letter, but said, I got nothing to do with the murders. He was essentially, uh, he'd had this idea that this is something he would do when an opportunity arose and these poisonings happened a couple of months or a month later. So was in like, check he, he planned to poison people? He planned to uh, fuck his, his oh, uh, like he's... ex- Right. His wife's ex-employer. Oh, yeah, her. pretend to extort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was just hoping Dwayne to frame... and Dick Johnson. He just wanted to frame them. Yeah, he just wanted to get revenge James, on them. you diabolical. Uh, he was, That's however... That's dastardly, that Absolutely. Plan. That's maybe one of the most dastardly plans I've heard. It's pretty dastardly. 
He was, however, arrested, tried and convicted for extortion and sentenced to 10 years in jail. Oh, my God. For that letter. That'll show him. That'll show the old boss. Jesus. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Another suspect was a man named Roger Arnold, who worked in a factory with the father of one of the victims, Mary Reiner. While drinking at a bar one night, he started to discuss his theories on the case and stated that cyanide wasn't even that hard to get your hands on. In fact, he had some back at his place. (laughs) I've got some right here. The owner of the bar, a man named Marty Sinclair, found this to be suspicious and he reported Roger Arnold to police. Police searched Arnold's home, finding weapons and chemicals, but no cyanide. With no connection between Arnold and the poisonings, officers charged him with a weapons violation and also for an outstanding warrant for an assault and let him go. So the th- one thing he said wasn't even true. Yeah, yeah I got cyanide. I got cyanide. He's just a blowhard oh, at the bar. Just, oh, but he no. had all sorts of other weird shit. He's just a loser. And you just, don't you think you can trust the, the, bar, the, the guy behind the bar? Not exactly. if you're talking about a really high, prof- high profile. I reckon there should be some sort of like client confidentiality. confidentiality yeah. yeah, At a bar. Yeah, exactly. It's like talking to a priest. I think you might be siding with the wrong person if you um, just let me get to the that, next sentence. That's our dog, him. Okay. Okay. Tell me about it. Well, the media attention caused him to have a bit of a nervous breakdown. And in the summer of the following year, he shot and killed John Stanisher, who was a computer consultant who was leaving a bar with friends whom he mistook for Marty Sinclair. So he planned the barman. to go and shoot the bar owner oh. for ratting him out and instead shot the wrong person. He is hopeless. <laughs> Can't even get murder right. He was oh, con- man, that's He awful. was convicted of the killing and served 15 years of his 30-year sentence for second-degree murder. So awful and so, so sad. Yeah, that's grim. The investigation continued and authorities tried many different approaches to find the person responsible for the death of seven people. In early 1983, at the FBI's request, this is crazy, 
Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green published the address and grave location of the first and youngest victim, Mary Kellerman. The story, written with the Kellerman family's consent, was proposed by the FBI criminal analyst John Douglas on the theory that the perpetrator might visit the house or gravesite if he were made aware of its locations. Okay. Right. Like You don't think that he or she, the murderer, wouldn't probably be able to just find out? Yeah. You think they're sitting back going, huh, I wish there was a way to find out who the victims were. I guess I'll never know. I, I can't. Know. Oh, it's been published in the newspaper. I'm assuming the cri- address... criminals can find out things like that. Yeah, the address and also like which cemetery. Very strange. Um, and then uh, both sites were kept under 24-hour video surveillance for several months, but nothing came of I it. I reckon if I was a criminal mastermind, I would definitely not think that was a trap. But okay, that's actually really convenient. They published that information in the fine print. It said, and don't worry, it will not be surveilled. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you'll have complete and utter privacy. You get get to the the gravesite, and there's like a big net above it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that's for and and below it, but that's covered in leaves. But (laughs) the leaves are blown off of it. You can see it's a it's a pit, and there's a tiger down there. (laughs) It's gonna really get (laughs) you. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. They were just like, they were quite desperate. They were trying everything. There was just um, so many different kind of, I don't know, accusations or suspects. A surveillance photo of Paula Prince purchasing cyanide-tampered Tylenol at um, a supermarket was released by the Chicago Police Department. Police believed that a bearded man seen just feet behind Prince <gasps> okay, Look, I don't know why you're both killer. looking at me. I, I think, yeah, what year was this? 1982? Yeah, I shaved my beard that year. Oh, okay. That was your one beardless year for the last few decades. No, I've had other beardless years. What years? I once shaved for a friend's wedding. What year was that? My question wasn't what are the events. It was what year? That was this millennium. Did you shave for a friend's wedding and you turned up and they're like, who the hell is that? Yeah, people made fun of me all day. They said I look like Millhouse because I had glasses. Ah, yeah. (laughs) And I got this haircut that morning and it's a very funny looking haircut. Hey, Everything you got the about dad. It's... The dad looks like you, Poindexter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I've, yeah, my, I feel good. My, I feel good at this wedding. My mum had like... Hey, it's Millhouse. <laughs> mum had long hair, like really long brown hair down to like her waist, got it permed the day of the wedding. So she had like really short Kelly. Her dad's like, who is that? <laughs> what the hell? I Wrong don't... church lady. <laughs> You're making like a wild decision with yeah, all the... Very I mean, bold. I, for my wedding, I obviously don't want to represent myself like I normally look. No, no, no I want to look completely different. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so who's this red bearded man? It's <laughs> I never said red. Okay. Um. So yeah, there was just a guy, Uh. I think behind her, yeah, behind her in the line. And they sort of thought maybe he was... Killer don't know what that was based on, but they were like, "Oh, maybe oh. him." <laughs> he just looks sus. But nothing ever came of that theory okay. either. All right. Yeah. So imagine... Matt got away with it. Oh, look! I just happen to be also be buying something from the chemist. Uh, newspaper, uh, some jelly beans, and this twenty pack of giant d- dingers, please. <laughs> 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 I had a, fr- I had a friend once <sighs> go into like a, I think it was a Seven Eleven. It was late at night. To buy to buy dingers, and which are condoms? Condoms for people that and they're, they're, who, who haven't had sex. They're often behind the counter, but not always. 
So he like had a bit of a look around, couldn't see them anywhere and was like, you know what, I'm not going to be embarrassed about this. It's a perfectly natural thing to do. Walks up to the counter and says, hey, mate, uh, can I get some condoms? And the guy just pointed over to a shelf <laughs> yeah. that he hadn't seen. He's like, yeah, you can help yourself. I don't, mate, have you don't need to announce it. I don't it. care. Can I please have sex? (laughs) Hello, I'm going to have sex now. One sex, please. (laughs) That was pretty funny. You know, trying to like being like, you know what? Let's not be be children about it. Mm. It's not a big deal. I'll just ask. Oh, they're right there. My bad. Okay. Pretty funny. So yeah, a few different theories about the like who this killer could be. Is it somebody you know in surveillance? Then there were there also wasn't uh, like the surveillance cameras everywhere now. This is back in the eighties. There was less even in shops and stuff. It tended to just be maybe one camera, and it was on staff, not like on the <laughs> on the general public. They didn't trust staff in the eighties. Didn't trust them. I thought they were going to steal from the till. So they're trying a bunch of different things, and the identity of the killer remained a mystery. For 40 years. What? In fact, it remains a mystery oh, to no. this day. Oh, oh, you totally got me. I thought you were about to say that that recent article had said. Because that 40 years would be now. this year. It's, Holy it's shit. Now. It's still a mystery. Still a mystery. Well, you know what this show does? Oh, yeah. It weeds them out. Somehow, yeah. whenever we... Give it a few months yeah. and this killer will be... Always something happens. It'll either be the killer will be revealed or they'll make a movie or about Zac it. Or Zac Efron yeah. will play the killer. That's right. They're the two options. And yeah, it's it's as we're recording this on the 29th, it's 40 years today. Wow. What? Today. 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 At the time of recording. Wow. And the, the uh, two-part article I mentioned was only two parts out at the time of recording. There was more coming. So it prob- there probably will be a bit of press around it because it's 40 years. So it is going to be one of those situations where we do a topic and then people are seeing it a lot in the media. But, yeah, give it a couple of months. Wow. But do you think, think like, find the part color. three of this story will solve it and you'll have to come back next week and, and say, be like, actually, actually, we do know who it is? <laughs> yeah. Patreon bonus episode. Yeah, that's right. We uh, killer announced. We have an update. Wow. Um, yeah, it's still a mystery. Oh, and that's... I got you. I got you there. Absolutely. Yeah. I was yes. thinking, holy shit. I was really hoping there was going to be someone paying for this. No, no satisfying yeah, Matt, conclusion. Matt, Matt was just hoping that someone was going to take the fall for him. No, yeah. that's a ridiculous God, you're thing to say. A, dog. a murdering you dog? You love dogs. I don't dogs. like murdering ones. Yeah, we like nice dogs. We like nice doggies. Not killer dogs. Not bad doggies. <laughs> what do, who do you think of as a bad dog? You. A hound? No. You. Okay. You and you alone. So, yeah, no one has ever faced charges or been arrested for the Chicago Tylenol No one even murders. arrested. Nah. They love to arrest people. Other than the guy arrested for extortion. Oh, yeah. And the guy who shot the barman. Ah, oh, that That's sucks. Right. Someone got away with it. The FBI even investigated a theory that another famous killer could have been responsible. In 2011, the FBI requested DNA samples from the Unabomber, oh. Ted Kaczynski, in connection to the Tylenol murder- murders. He denied having ever possessed uh, potassium cyanide. But the first four Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago uh, and its suburbs from 1978 to 1980. And Kaczynski's parents had a suburban Chicago home in Lombard, Illinois, in 1982. So they were like, maybe he was using his parents' place as a base. But we've obviously done the Unabomber as a topic. That's right. Was that a block topic? Fuck, it might have been. It was definitely one of our... It was a very popular episode. I think it's one of our top three downloads ever, I reckon. And that was a name... That I'd heard a lot, but I, di- I knew nothing about it. It's an amazing story. You know, in a tragic and yes, terrifying way. Yes, but, but yeah, they... Uh, much like this. 
Yeah, exactly right. Nothing nothing linked Ted Kaczynski to it. But even in 2011, they're like, uh, what else? What else? Uh, that guy. Working on they're it. still trying. You know how you said earlier the guy at the bar bragged about, oh, it's easy to get cyanide. Yeah. Is that true? Like, I've got no idea. If it's, I don't, well. If it's so poisonous, like. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not 100% sure back then. Like, yeah, where you get it from. Yeah. And what, what it's for. Like, yeah. You know? Well, that's it. They were, um, I did remember. I do remember reading something about like the manufacturing plant, um, you know, going and checking their cyanide, and I'm like, why do you have it? Whoa, whoa, whoa! What have you got that for? Why have you got it? What's it? What's it used it for? It must have a practical use. It must do, but. Do you think yeah. people are yelling at their iPods right now? Probably, chemists mostly. What if I Google it? What? Do, what do you reckon? I think you'll go on a list. But you, yeah, you two have it. a guess. All right, practical use of cyanide. Well, I don't know what like a pharmaceutical company would be using it for, unless it's like it burn it down. It feels like yeah, like even it, in a small dose, it sounds deadly. It's not yeah. like even a tiny bit can cure cancer or That's something. That's right. Yeah. Like, According to emergency.cdc.gov, in manufacturing, cyanide is used to make paper, textiles, and plastics. It is present in the chemicals used to develop photographs. Cyanide salts are used in metallurgy. Is that it for? Electroplating, metal cleaning, and removing gold from its ore. Cyanide gas is used to exterminate pests and vermin in ships and buildings. So it seems like it's got a lot of there you go wow uses. That's uh, that's okay. interesting. Wow. But yeah, they even they even sort of were trying to figure out, uh, you know how how the killer actually did it. Like, was it did they just go into a store, buy or steal a bottle of cyanide, take it out? Pull it, pull a few apart, and fill it. You know, it's like, and then take it back. Yeah, exactly. Put it back on the shelf. And I'm guessing that this is pre like those one use seals oh and stuff. Oh my god, Matthew Stewart, your timing, perfection. <laughs> wow. Because one element of this story that we haven't talked about yet is the Tylenol manufacturer Johnson and Johnson. So before the 1982 crisis, Tylenol controlled more than 35 percent of the over-the-counter pain reliever market. Only a few weeks after these deaths, that number plummeted to less than 8%. See, wow. I know. Mr. Tylenol, Rick Tylenol. Rick Tylenol. Stocks are going down. Yeah. He's buying big. Buying up. He's gonna, but it's going to go back up, surely. So the, this dire situation, both in terms of human life and business, <laughs> made it... Imp- more importantly. More importantly, business. Made it imperative that Johnson & Johnson executives respond swiftly and authoritatively. Um, and obviously, they were a suspect. Like, had, they, had it been something that they'd done wrong... Was it something in a, in the manufacturing? Investigators first considered whether the tampering could have occurred at the manufacturing plants. Every Tylenol bottle had a lot number that offered specific details about the batch that those capsules came from. The Kellerman and the Yanis bottles contained Tylenol from lot MC2880, manufactured in Pennsylvania on April 26, 1982, so months earlier, and in Pennsylvania. The bottles travelled to various warehouses, including a final storage stop at a jewel facility in suburban Franklin Park, before being delivered to a different grocery to different grocery stores on different days before the poisoning. The lot numbers for the McFarland, Reiner, and Prince bottles indicated they were manufactured in Texas and went to different warehouses in the Chicago area before ending up on store shelves. Right. So it's sounding now like someone's gone into the shops and done it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So within 48 hours of the murders, the task force used this information to conclude publicly that the pills could not have been poisoned during production. Right. So Johnson & Johnson weren't, you know, there, there wasn't that some rogue employee was doing it. It was that somebody was taking the bottles adding poison, putting the bottles back. So it was random. 
Assistant U.S. Attorney Jeremy Margulies said at the time, obviously Johnson & Johnson didn't put cyanide in their own products. That's clear. <laughs> I wonder, I'm guessing there wasn't good CCTV in these chemists because otherwise... Yeah. Like today, you'd imagine that every aisle has a camera and you could just... They would have found the person who totally right. did it. Yeah, you would well, think so. They would have been like, it was that blurry man. That blurry <laughs> man did it. <gasps> the blurry man? That sounds like an X-Files episode. Yeah. It's actually... I was just watched an episode about a blurry... They had CCTV footage <laughs> and it was only one frame and it was a blur. And then they used all these new techniques to add color. To and enhance. Shape and enhance, add <laughs> shadow. I recognize those colors. That's and a shape. letterman jacket color. David Letterman <laughs> got him again. King of late night. <laughs> so this is um, Jeremy Margulies again. The likelihood that the same person could have put cyanide into different batches manufactured at different times in different places was logistically zero. So very quickly, the manufacturer was cleared of responsibility. Um, but Johnson & Johnson initially recalled only those products with the same batch number, like we mentioned before. Um, but people were terrified. Something like this had never happened before. People quickly lost their faith in the safety of their medicine, food, milk, everything. Because nothing was sealed back then. Food, nut, milk, nut, nothing was sealed Everything at all. just came in an open box. It was just a box to help yourself. Take a fistful. <laughs> fistful <Yeah>. of milk. <laughs> How um, many fistfuls of milk we need for the kids? Yeah, Six. Th- after these bottles of milk came in before, it was just buckets. <laughs> open top buckets of milk. And you just went in and you just scooped out as much as you needed. Sorry, as I call it, the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> take me back. <laughs> With fears mounting, Johnson & Johnson recalled all over-the-counter Tylenol products on October 5th, nearly a week after Mary Kellerman's death. It marked the first mass recall in US history involving more than 31 million bottles. Wow. This decision cost the company $100 million okay. in 1982 money. They offered replacement capsules to those who turned in pills already purchased and a reward for anyone with information leading to the apprehension of the individual or people involved in these random murders. That, I think, uh, that reward money is still up for grabs. (laughs) From the New York Times, they also developed new product protection methods and ironclad pledges to do better in protecting their consumers in the future. Working with FDA officials, they introduced a new tamper-proof packaging which included foil seals and other features that made it obvious to a consumer if foul play had transpired. These packaging protections soon became the industry standard for all over-the-counter medication. The company also introduced price reductions and a new version of their pill called the Caplet, which was a tablet coated with a slick, easy-to-swallow gelatin, but it was you couldn't tamper with it. It was like a solid right, you can't tablet it, rather than the capsule. In. Yeah, so that just made people feel a little bit safer. Um, and then they put it in the uh, tamper-proof bottles. Amazingly, within a year, Tylenol sales rebounded to, Told its, to its healthy pass, and it became once again the nation's favourite over-the-counter pain reliever. Critics who had prematurely announced the death of the brand Tylenol were now praising the company's handling of the matter. And Rick, our, Rick Tylenol, Rick Tylenol you've, you've done, done it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's good. An article in the Washington Post said Johnson & Johnson has effectively demonstrated how a major business ought to handle a disaster. In fact, it's still studied in PR classes at universities because of its generally viewed it's generally viewed as a textbook PR masterclass. Wow. The way they handled it is so praised. They're like couldn't have done any better. That's because amazing. they put the consumer first. 
they took big sacrifices financially as a business and it paid off which is kind of cool, I guess. In 1983, the US Congress passed what was called the Tylenol Bill, making it a federal offence to tamper with consumer products. And by 1989, the FDA established federal guidelines for manufacturers to make all such products tamper-proof. But yeah, prior to that, things weren't really sealed. And even now, like, um, not that something like this has happened in my lifetime because I'm incredibly young. (laughs) Um, Well, stuff has, of course, but I mean, like, I wasn't alive for this exact one. But... uh, and I don't know where it came from, but I'm sort of if if a seal's not on properly on something, I'm like, mm, not sure about that. What's mm. going on here? You know? But I I didn't live through something like this, so yeah. I don't know where that came from. It must have just been passed down, taught to us. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I'm always like, oh, why isn't this sealed? What? What's going on here? I'll use it anyway. Yeah, I'll still use it, of course. Hopefully, it's got cyanide in it. <laughs> but now you think about like, uh, for example, Panadol here. It's yeah. all inside little packets and you pop it out. That's right, yeah. So you- and if one of those is a bit skewy, if you're like, did I do that? Did I just knock it yeah, and kind of pierce that aluminum? I'll just taste it. I'll just taste it. I'll just lick this. <laughs> Smells like almond, but is this an almond flavoured one? Let me check the packaging. <laughs> I've already taken the pill, but I'll just check the packaging. That's not almond flavoured. Oh. And- oh, well. But I don't have a headache anymore. Yeah, that's the least you worry. That's nice. As you're floating above your body. (laughs) What am I doing down there? So, yeah, I suppose that is one very, very small silver lining that I'm desperate to find in a very tragic story. Um, Yeah, it's funny that when things like that happen and you're like, it's like, oh, that's a silver lining. Yeah. But if those sort of things don't happen, you don't need that. Exactly. So it's a funny silver lining. It's great. So good, isn't it? That we seal everything now because seven people died. Everything's sealed in silver linings now. How good is that? How good is that? (laughs) That is, good, that is good stuff. Thank you. So, yeah, the tragic and devastating deaths of seven innocent people that sparked fear and paranoia in the entire US and around the world prompted changes to be made that prevent something like this happening again. And that is the very sad and mysterious story of the Chicago Tylenol murders. Thanks for listening to this episode of Do Go On. We have almost 400 other episodes on topics like the Hollywood bandit bank robber, Jack the Ripper, the Black Dahlia murder, and Argentina's heist of the century. Check us out on your podcast app. Thanks again. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.